Welcome to Making Lemonade. I'm Wit. And I'm Kels. And we started this podcast to bring connection and support to this community. We know that every single person goes through tough situations in life. And we wanted to help share stories of those situations to help others not feel so alone. We are not therapists or doctors. Our opinions are our own. The opinions expressed by the guests on each episode is their own and doesn't necessarily share our same views. You can find information and resources shared by each guest in the episode notes or on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening. On today's episode, well, I guess I got to talk to Shantae. I was going to say we got to talk to Shantae, but um, I was flying solo on this one. And um, it was an incredible message that she shared and story that she told. Um, But yeah, Wit wasn't with me. I know. I was so sad. Yeah, so it was kind of a bummer. Did you have FOMO? Yes, I totally (laughs) did. I was like, I feel like I'm missing out. And then after Kelts texted me and was like, she is incredible. She's so good at telling her story. You're going to love it. And they were so sweet. She like sent me a selfie and was like, tell it good luck. And anyway, that was the first thing she said. She comes at my door and she's like, how's wet? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. She goes, let's send her a photo. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So it was so sweet. You guys, I'm so excited to listen to the story. Tell us more. She, she's just inspiring. Um, so her and her family were in a horrible car accident on their way to go hiking. And she just runs us through everything and what a painful story to tell, but what an amazing story to tell. And I love listening to just like the little, I don't know, like parts of her story where people were there who weren't supposed to be there. Do you know what I mean? Like how people yeah. lifted them up, um, kind of the miracles that took place that day. Yeah. I don't know. She did. Yeah. She did so, so good. And I just, I know you guys will love the story as much as I did. Uh, it was so good. I'm so excited to tune in. You guys, I'm going to be listening to this with you all. So mm. thanks for being here. Thanks for listening and check us out on social media. Welcome, Shantae. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm excited to learn from you and just to hear your story because it's a crazy one. Um, how are you feeling? Good. So good. I'm really good. glad to be here. Good. Um, why don't you tell us kind of where your story begins? Okay. Um, we have five kiddos and we have twins on the top and the bottom, which is crazy. That is crazy. (laughs) And then a special man in the middle. Uh He's the filling to our Oreo and the peanut butter to our jelly. (laughs) He has to have a claim to fame with all those twins. Mm -hmm. Um, and we started a family tradition when our kids hit middle school, we really wanted to encourage them to reach for four rows in their grades Mm -hmm. and to really strive to do really well at school. So we came up with the idea that if they ended the year with good grades, that we would reward them by going on a backpacking trip. And um, luckily it motivates them. They like that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. and they were excited to get to do something that my husband and I get do together and, and to come with us. So we had set that out to them and uh, the, my oldest boys, their names are Cameron and Owen, uh, the summer of their eighth grade year, we were going to take them to my husband's favorite place, which is the wind river mountain range in Wyoming. So he, my husband, Trevor, he grew up 
uh, visiting the Wind Rivers many times. Um, some, sometimes to the, the really popular places that there's a million people. And then sometimes to the places that you never see anybody else. And he was so excited to take us to this place that he loves so, so, so much. And, um, as we were planning my best friend from high school, her name's Melissa, we call her Mel. She was intrigued by going to this place. Her and I have been backpacking before, and she had talked about that she had always wanted to go fishing in the backcountry and actually land a fish. She can't ever <laughs> land one. So my boys were confident that they, of course, were the best teachers in the world Aww. and <laughs> invited her along with us. Um, and they were going to, of course, help her catch a million fish. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we got our younger three kids set up to go to their aunt's house, and we were going to go on about a four-day backpacking trip in the Wind Rivers. We got our uh, minivan loaded up with all of us, and my husband was driving, and I was in the passenger seat. And then the three of them, for some reason, chose to sit, all sit in a row, really snug next to each other. And then the back row was was empty. We just had some of our gear in it. <clears throat> Uh, we started our drive. We stopped for lunch at Subway. And as we were driving, we passed Cokeville, the town of Cokeville mm-hmm. in Wyoming. And my husband started telling the the kids about the Cokeville miracle and everything that had occurred there and how prayers and angels had, had really saved and helped so many people. Um, as we were driving, it was just a two-lane road. Our boys were 14, so we knew that they were going to be getting their learner's permits pretty soon. And my husband was teaching them how to pass cars. So okay. if we came up on a car that we were going faster than, he'd say, okay, you come out like this and you check. And then, you know, you just come out a little bit to check. And then if there's nobody coming, then you do your blinker, you accelerate, and you come back in. He was teaching them this as as we were driving. And we were just kind of driving and talking a little bit. And all of a sudden, there was a semi coming the other way in the other lane, and a car, uh, like a mid-sized SUV, comes out to pass the semi. And in my mind, I just was thinking, semi-car, 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 semi-car. Why are they both coming right at us? Mm-hmm. Um, my husband slammed on the brakes so quickly, in fact, that we were fishtailing. And then he, there's not much of a shoulder on that road, but he got off all the way off the shoulder, all the way off into um, the side of the road. Essentially, it's kind of like a ditch. And um, from there, my memory stops. Um, We've since learned that the car hit us head on. Um, She also tried to get out of the way of us at the same time. Um, she didn't see us until right before impact. Um, we know this now from the police report um, as far as when she tried to stop. So she had been accelerating and we hit head on. Um, we all blacked out. We we have learned that um, it's like hitting a brick wall at about 160 miles an hour or so mm-hmm. for us. So in essence, none of us should have made it from that moment at all. Mm -hmm. Um, When I awoke, um, I was really confused. There's a lot of amnesia that plays into that kind of a trauma. And I, I looked over and my husband was 
unconscious. He was lifeless with his arms over the um, airbag. And I looked back and uh, my son Owen was having a seizure and he just was covered in blood. And his twin Cameron, uh, he was holding him actually, and he just was in shock. He had no idea of what was going on. He kept telling me he couldn't move his legs. And my friend Mel somehow managed to get out of the van. She awoke about the same time as I did and saw Owen having a seizure, and she knew that he was going to need help first. So she got out of the van and then couldn't move from there. I asked her, her and I were the only ones that were coherent enough to think about anything, and I asked her if she knew where a phone was. At that point, everything that was inside of the van was outside of the Mm -hmm. van besides us. Mm -hmm. We were all wearing our seatbelts, which saved our lives. Um, And I had remembered that about 10 minutes before that, I had texted my dad, hey, I forgot to tell you we're going backpacking. We'll be out of service for a few days. I'll let you know when we get back into service. Love you. And he had said, "Um, I love you too. Be safe. And I said, I will. And at that moment, somehow I was able to remember that I had texted him and that I had put my phone right in the the door of the car. Mm. Somehow it was still there. Wow. I still, to this day, think whether you call it angels or Mm -hmm. external forces, they were holding that phone there. Mm -hmm. Um, From there, I was able to to dial 911. I don't know how. I couldn't see. My consciousness was in and out. I I dialed 911, and there were a lot of people that stopped to help. Um, we have since learned that they had to close down the whole, the whole highway from there. Um, I directed all the bystanders. Um, I went into some sort of first aid mode. I'd taken classes in high school and I (laughs) suddenly knew what to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I directed people on different things. I heard some people talking about Owen and saying, we, we can't move him. And I said, yeah, I agree. And I just kind of was walking around the van, kind of assessing things. And all of a sudden, uh, the van started on fire. And the the main impact was on my husband. The two driver's sides are what crunched the most. They're the parts that really got hit the most. And the engine was on my husband's lap. He was trapped in the vehicle, and it started on fire. Mm -hmm. Um, I directed people to throw some dirt on the fire, and it put it out, and then it started again. And at this point, all the bystanders were really concerned that the car was going to blow up and to get everybody out that they could. Um, my husband was obviously stuck, and they got Owen out and then uh, broke the window and pulled Cameron out of that side to get him out. Um, when they pulled him out, when they pulled Cameron out, they set him on the ground, just the nearest place they could. They were being really careful with his his leg because he was in a lot of pain in that area. So they kind of just set him there and he was facing my husband who was trapped in the vehicle for, for that time on. Was your husband awake? So he um, was in and out Mm -hmm. and he would wake up in complete shock, have no idea what was going on and be really um, scared. And he would scream and I would calm him down. So everything's going to be okay. We got in a car accident, which I still didn't even understand what had happened. 
Um, but I knew that that seemed like what was about to happen, my last memory. And so I just said, help is coming. You're okay. And then as soon as he'd start to calm down a little bit, he would go unconscious again. Mm. This cycle continued for a really long time. At least in my mind, it appeared to be a really Mm -hmm. long time. Um, And it got to a point that I knew that I could not sustain uh, doing that cycle with him. There was a bystander that was helping the people in the other vehicle. And he had kind of paused and was looking around. And I said, I need you. I need you to keep him awake. And I need you to keep him calm. Because I knew if he didn't continue to wake up, he wasn't ever going to. And so this man stuck his body through the window, the broken window, so that his face was just a few inches from my husband's. And he did that for a long time with him. He would sit there and say, hey, man, wake up, wake up. And then my husband would wake up in a panic. And then he'd say, nope, everything's going to be okay. And then the same thing would happen over and over. And he stayed with him that whole time. Um, In the meantime, these bystanders were just incredible. Um, a, a man and a woman were with Mel and the woman had had Mel's, uh, head in her lap and Mel, um, was in a lot of pain. And at one point the woman asked where she was hurting and Mel lifted up her shirt and the woman realized how badly injured she was and, um, said, don't worry, I'm going to stay here with you. Everything's going to be okay. There were quite a few people with Owen uh, making sure that he was breathing and that his heart was beating, and, and they were. And then there was one man that stayed with Cameron, who we have since found and become really good friends with. And he uh, he kept Cameron very calm. Mm. Cameron was in and out of shock um, and consciousness. And as, as the man would ask him questions, Cameron could only remember a few things. He could remember his name. He could remember that he loved his family and that he loved to play soccer. And that was it. Mm. And this amazing man kept him talking about those things for almost an hour. Wow. <laughs> he just kept him going. And anytime he'd start to panic again, he'd bring him back. Mm. Um, I was what they call the walking wounded, which is really scary to emergency personnel because they know at some point you're not going to be able to sustain that. Um, I continued to kind of rotate around the van and help people as I could. At one point, I realized my arm was really hurting. And I grabbed a shirt that was on the ground and I asked somebody that was standing there if they could make me a sling to kind of helped my arm. And he, they said that expression, a deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. I've never witnessed that so much. <laughs> he literally wasn't blinking, staring straight ahead. And I, I'm like explaining, just tie these parts together, help me put it up over my head. And he just stared at me like, I don't know what's happening. I said, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and then I actually looked down and, and realized how injured I was. And, and I thought, just don't move your arm. That'll be fine. Just don't move your arm. (laughs) The man that was with Cameron had finally said to me, honey, why don't you come sit with us? He had been on a motorcycle. He got his uh, thick jacket and laid it on the ground. This was in the middle of summer, a very dusty, dirty um, weed 
garden on the side of the road and he'd laid his jacket down. And as I sat down, I realized that my abdomen really hurt as well. And he was like, really? He's like, you doing okay? And I'd sit and be like, oh, that hurts. I tried to lay, oh, that really hurts. Like I'd stand, like everything hurts the same. I'm just going to keep walking around. Mm. Um, From there, uh, the emergency personnel arrived and they used the jaws of life to get Trevor out. And then they also had to use a jackhammer to get the engine off of his lap. Um, when he was starting to be a little bit more coherent, he realized that he could move his toes, um, which was encouraging. Um, a lot of things happened, but Cameron and I luckily got put in the same ambulance and we were taken to Kemmer, which was the closest town. And they're just a very tiny town with volunteers primarily. Um, and I had, I don't know how I thought to tell Cameron this, but I told Cameron, um, when we get there, we might be separated, but I'll be near and there will be people taking care of you. And I'm so glad that I did that because when we got there, they only had two emergency rooms. Mm. There were 10 of us total, five in our vehicle, five in theirs. And um, we were separated, and they were doing their best to get us all triaged. They were trying to get scans and x-rays to figure out what the injuries were and who needed to be prioritized. It was a mess. Mm. Um, I had thought to call my mom at the accident site and tell her that we were in a bad accident and that I needed her to figure out where we were going and that that was all that I knew. Um, when we got to Kemmer, I had like three seconds that nobody was in my room and it suddenly occurred to me, somebody needed to know about Mel. I did not have any of her family's contacts, Mm. not one person. And then it just dawned on me. I had a a mutual friend called her and I said, I need to pass this off to you. I need you to figure out how to get a hold of her family. I don't know where she's going. I need you to get people there. Um, Anyway, from there, it was just a long road of figuring out what was wrong and how to save us and what we needed to do. Um, Injury-wise, my husband broke both his femurs, which is the large bone in the top of your leg. The scary thing with that is there's a large artery that passes through your leg that a lot of times the femur will rupture. Um, And if it does, you only last minutes. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, He also broke his fibula in the bottom of his leg, three toes, tore everything in his knee. So his ACL, MCL, and PCL. Broke his arm and his sternum. Um, When he, they, they actually landed the life flight right on the road for him and took him directly to the University of Utah Hospital. We were really lucky to mm-hmm. get in there. Um, most hospitals were full at the time, and we were really lucky to get taken somewhere that was closer to us. It was either going to be there or Denver. And um, they put his legs in traction, so pulling those bones so that they didn't buckle even more to break through the skin and then also to not hit those arteries. Mm-hmm. Um, Mel's abdomen, uh, her colon, everything separated from her abdominal wall and essentially came out of her body, but still inside of her skin. Um, so much so that they couldn't even find where her colon was when they got into her. They said that they've never fixed somebody that had that 
that was that bad that made it so they weren't going to because it was so bad. As they fixed, they realized if it would have been a millimeter lower, it would have hit a large artery or a millimeter higher, it would have hit a large artery. She also had broken ribs, punctured lung, um, injured aorta, and broken fingers. Um, and as they fixed her internally, they did do um, an ostomy bag to reroute where her organs were going um, as things were healing. Cameron broke his ankle and his fibula and dislocated his ankle. So it kind of was a, a yucky shape at the scene. And um, when we got taken to Cameron, my mom had said, where do you want me to go? And I said, you find where Owen's going and you go there because I knew he was the worst. And she didn't listen to me and she came to Kemmer. And it was such a blessing in disguise because when she walked in, they told me at that moment that I was getting life lighted, that I had injuries sustained, that I needed to be life lighted as well. And Cameron was there by himself. So she walked in. I got life lighted about two minutes later and she was able to stay with Cameron and then keep him with her for the duration of our time in the hospital. He needed surgeries as well, but he was able to do it, <clears throat> excuse me, outpatient um, instead of being in the hospital. Um, I broke my pinky, my ulna, which is in my arm, dislocated elbow, torn shoulder, broken ribs, and then badly bruised lungs is what I was life lighted for, for. And then Owen had... Um, a broken lower back, a severed optical nerve, and then a severe traumatic brain injury. So every part of his brain got injured. So both sides, both hemispheres, his frontal lobe and the part that connects both sides of his brain. They placed him into a medically induced coma. And then that wasn't enough. So then they did a medical paralyzation because even the smallest twitch of his muscles would cause his brain to swell more. That wasn't enough. So then they did what's called a bolt to monitor his brain swelling, and it just continued to rise and rise. So then they did, it's called an EVD. It's just a brain drain mm. to allow for the swelling to come out. And um, typically brain swelling peaks at three to five days. And then from there, as it goes down, then they can come out of the coma and things like that. His stayed high for a very long time. So he was in his coma for nine days. Wow which was rough because we were all in our own hospital rooms. Uh -huh. Luckily, he was taken to primaries, okay. so we were connected. The buildings yes. were connected. I was just going to ask you how close, like what hospitals, Yeah, we, you know? were, we were really lucky. So Mel and Trevor were in the ICU at the U. I was in a trauma unit at the U, and then Owen was at primaries, which was such a blessing for us and then also for our caregivers because we were in the same place. Uh -huh. Um. From there, it's been a really long road of recovery. We're still in it. We're about a year and a half out. Um, just within the last six months, three of us have had surgery, and my husband will be coming up on a couple more here soon. So we're just working through the recovery. Um, and a lot of it is, and I, you probably feel the same way, but you're like the same person, but totally different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so a lot of it is trying to figure out how to redefine ourselves at this point. Mm -hmm. And then also how we can help because there's a lot of peace that comes and we found it's the most healthy way we can cope. Mm -hmm. Helping others has become a better, a healthier way to cope than some of the yeah. other options. So 
that's kind of where we're at now and Mm -hmm. just kind of continuing on this journey of recovering and then trying to find others to help as well. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that. I mean, well, you told that story so well and you also told it, I'm sure way quicker than I don't know. And so as I'm just following you through that story, I'm picturing what is going on and I don't know. I don't know how you guys survived. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What, what did like people who came up to the scene, police officers and all that, what did they tell you? Yeah. Um, so kind of a cool thing. We decided to go back to the accident site on our one year anniversary and we were really nervous about that. Mm-hmm. I kind of forced everybody. I didn't make them, but I just said, I really think it would be really good for us. I suffer from PTSD and there's a lot of things that I do um, to try to work through that. And I just felt like it was really important for us to go back. In going back, we also decided that we wanted to um, thank everybody that had stopped. So to talk to those people that had come, you know, when they got to the scene, they were a mess. They were frantic Mm. and couldn't decide who to help and what to do. And it was the worst accident that they had ever come up upon. So when we went back, um, they were so awesome to work with. And to be honest, when I called the hospital, I said, we were in this accident a year ago. We just want to thank everybody. And the lady on the phone started crying. She said, I didn't know you guys made it. I did not know that you made it, we would love to see you. So when we went back, um, we got to meet with seven sectors of emergency personnel and then as well as hospital people. Um, Like I said, they had such a small hospital that they actually closed the whole hospital to pull every worker over to us. So um, my doctor at the time was a dermatologist. They didn't have anybody else. Everybody that worked there was helping us. So when we went back, we got to meet about 50 people. Wow. Um, Trevor met the man that cut him out. He also met the woman that kept him alive until he got cut out. Um, We got to hear insane, amazing, miraculous stories from every single one of them about that they weren't supposed to be there or that they just felt like they should do this thing and that in essence, that's what saved our lives. Um, It was really emotional and so healing. Mm -hmm. Now to go back to what you were asking, they told us that they had never worked together as seamlessly as they did and that every single one of them cried that night. Mm. That it was not just traumatic for us, but coming up on strangers that they felt it too. Mm -hmm. Um, And hearing them talk about that was just, I mean, they do this every day. And to know that it affected them that deeply um, is touching and then also kind of validating, especially if I'm going through some sort of a PTSD flashback or something and I think, oh, you're making it worse than it was. I'm reminded that I'm not, Mm -hmm. that it really was that bad. And like I said, they were really frantic at the scene, but they also did exactly what was needed and they did save our lives. And um, it was so cool to hear their stories. We knew that we had witnessed a lot of miracles being alive at all, but hearing all the things that lined up in order for them to save us just the first few hours um, was just incredible. They Mm -hmm. had 
um, uh, they didn't have enough people to drive all the vehicles that needed to be there. And one of the firemen, he was home with the stomach flu throwing up and he came in and drove throwing up Mm. in order to, to get the help that we needed and things like that. So the other thing that's interesting about the scenario that a lot of people don't think about is that none of us knew anything about each other. Mm. So At the scene, we just knew what we could see, but our brain wasn't filing at that point. We were totally in survival mode. That fight, flight, or freeze Mm -hmm. is where we were at. So um, we didn't know a lot. We couldn't remember a lot. And then also we didn't know what was going on with anybody because it was too imperative to save our own lives than to know anything about anybody else. Excuse me. So um, when I got taken to camera, I just kept saying, does anybody know what happened to the boy in the blue striped shirt? Because nobody knew who belonged to who out of the vehicles either. Mm -hmm. And then um, names didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. They didn't know the ages of anybody. They thought um, with my twins, they were 14 at the time. They thought that Owen was like 20. Mm -hmm. He has longer and darker hair and he looks older. And so for them to identify anybody is really hard. And to be honest, I didn't know anything about Owen um, for probably five, six, seven hours. Mm. And at that point it was just because I was at the U I was in a trauma bay and that's when a social worker came in to, to deliver some of that news as well as be of support to me. Okay. Um, can you tell us about the other vehicle at all? Yeah. So the driver of the other vehicle was also pinned in, um, they were able to save her and get her out. They actually manually had to remove the door and everything because the jaws of life were being used on my husband. Um, and they were able to uh, keep her alive for a few hours. And then from there, she passed at the hospital. She was, um, they were all related in the other vehicle and there were three young children. They were in car seats that were done the right way and Mm -hmm. those car seats saved their lives. So the passenger and the children were all okay. Just minor injuries from there. Okay. Um, I can't help but think like PTSD. Yeah. Tell me about that. Tell me about that for you, your husband, your children. Yeah. And also like, tell me about your three children at home. Yeah. Like what that was like for them. Yeah. Uh, rough. I, yes. Rough is what that's like rough for, for them. all. I yeah, mean, for everybody. Oh. And to be honest, um, I'm sure you've experienced this, but when you go through something hard like this, it doesn't just affect your inner circle. It mm-hmm. affects a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. It affects community members. It affects, of course, your extended family. It affects people that work with them. I mean, it affects so many people. Mm-hmm. And when there's four of us from one family, that ripple really goes out. Um, and we're hoping at this point that it can be a positive thing instead of just focusing on that negative. But for our younger kids, um, they were at the best place that they could be. And we're so grateful for that. They were at their aunt's house who has a farm, who always has things to do and animals to tend to and um, pipe to be moved. <laughs> <laughs> so they were busy. They were busy and it was fantastic. Good. It was a really good place for them. Um, I'll never forget the day that we all saw each other for the first time. It was over a month later and it was the first time we'd all seen each other. And our daughter who was eight at the time, 
she was just sobbing. I mean, it was a lot to take in. Her dad was in a wheelchair. Her um, brother, Owen, had an eye patch and a back brace and a shaved head and wasn't functioning normally. I had a lot of things on me as well. Um, I forgot to mention that my face got really gashed up, so I looked a little bit scary for a little bit, for especially for the younger kids. And she was just sobbing. And I... This, like this moment still makes me sick to my stomach, but I had to just hold her and say, I need you to be strong a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that you never would ask of your children if the situation didn't force you to. Mm-hmm. Um, it still affects them today, but they are young and resilient and we focus on the things that we can do to help ourselves. And we also really, really focus on allowing them to feel whatever they need to feel. So if they're sad about it, that's fine. If they totally forgot about it, that's fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Which I think goes along with the grieving process as well. As far as those of us in the car, um, Owen has a lot of amnesia um, because of everything, the brain injury as well as um, being unconscious. Um, Quite honestly, the further out we get, the more he's remembering, which is fantastic for brain function. Um, but makes it harder to deal with. Mm -hmm. He just yesterday told me, I'd never heard this, that he has to sit in a certain seat if he's in the back because he needs to be able to see how fast we're going and out the window so -hmm. that he knows if something's coming. Um, My husband, he is starting to remember more as well. And then also what happens in situations like this It seems maybe counterintuitive, but the more you know about the situation or the more you can create a story, the better you're going to do, especially PTSD-wise. Because otherwise, your brain's going to try to fill in those gaps, and then you're going to keep circling. It's going to be really hard for it. So we've done a lot of work together trying to fill in each other of those pieces. And some of that's really hard for my husband to hear because for my son Cameron, most of his PTSD relates to watching my husband and him being in shock and him coming in and out of consciousness. And so that can be really hard for my husband. Um, And he doesn't suffer from PTSD in the form of like flashbacks that take you physically back like a war veteran, that type of a thing, um, which I do have. Um, But he definitely suffers from this is something that you would like to get out of your mind and it's really traumatizing and your body wants to keep you safe. And so it replays those things. Um, my son Cameron definitely, um, has PTSD. Um, he is really, really good to vocalize, which is really helpful in a situation like this. So he's able to vocalize things that are hard for him or that type of thing. And he, you know, goes up and down just like the rest of us. But currently right now it's affecting him that his whole body will shake. So if there's any sort of external stressor that has nothing to do with the accident, like a test at school, Mm -hmm. his whole body will shake. Um, For me, it's pretty intense. I have worked a lot (laughs) and will continue to work a lot. Um, I do get, you know, kind of like you hear veterans experience where you're taken back to that moment Everything you're seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting is that moment, um, which is not a fun moment to be at. 
Um, I've learned a lot of tools and tricks. And I will just say that mental therapy is is very helpful. And um, I'm so grateful because it's given me so many tools. And when there's times when I feel like I, the tools and tricks just aren't cutting it, mm-hmm. I, ca- I have a way to check back in. I have somebody that can challenge me and say, wait, well, did you try this? We talked about that last time. Or, oh, that really worked for you. Awesome. How could you do that again? Um, but yeah, it's definitely a challenge. So let's talk about mental therapy. What has been the most useful for you? Yeah, for me, um, man, I don't know that I could pin point one. All of it kind of works together. Yeah, a lot okay. of it works together. But I would, if I was to say one, I would say using mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So being getting yourself back to the present moment, which I feel like, and I do want to touch on this, but I do feel like that's something that's helpful with grief as well. Um, but getting yourself back into the present moment, which with PTSD, your body really does go back into fight or flight. So your heart's racing, you're, you're sweating, you're feeling like you need to do something. Um, and with mindfulness, you're able to use your brain to tell your body that you're safe. Mm -hmm. So, um, I do a lot of like self-talk, like you're safe. Thanks for protecting me, but everything's okay right now. Um, I do a lot of tactile things. So naming the five senses. So Mm -hmm. rubbing my legs, like, oh, my pants feel like this right now. Oh, I can see three green things. They are this plant and that sign. Um, square breathing. I do a lot of as well. What's that? So you're going to picture square. So you're going up on the one side, breathing in for four seconds. Mm -hmm. You're holding it as you go across the stop, the top for four seconds. You're breathing out as you go down the other side for four seconds, and then you're holding it across the bottom for four seconds. Okay. The imagery of that really helps me. I'm super visual, and Mm -hmm. so I need something like that. I have a really hard time clearing my mind all the way, Mm -hmm. and so doing some sort of that really helps. When you're slowing down your breathing, it does slow down your heart as well, which is huge in a flashback moment for me. Um, But yeah, mindfulness is definitely something that I've used a lot of. The other thing is to name things that are different. So if let's say I'm in a car and it's on a two lane road, which is very difficult for all of us, um, we name things that are different. I'm sitting in a different seat. Mm -hmm. I'm in a different car. That's the one we have found (laughs) always works because that car's gone. Uh Um, I'm in a different car. It's a different season. I'm in a different state. I'm wearing different clothes, which all of our clothes got cut off of us in the, at the scene with the emergency. You know, there's things like that that we can do um, that really help. And quite honestly, when we were going back to the site for our one year anniversary, Cameron and I talked a lot about that. We were worried there's not going to be a lot of differences. Mm. There's going to be a lot of sames. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was still enough. And then quite honestly, once we got there, it was so healing. It was so healing. We actually found my sunglasses, which what? is crazy. That is so crazy. <laughs> so crazy. A year later wow, in Wyoming. So they'd mm. been under snow and whatever mm. else, you know. And um, yeah, we found my sunglasses Cameron had had like a necklace knife on that he was going to wear backpacking. We found that. We found the pin from the fire extinguisher that was used to put How the fire How did you find out. all these things? That's crazy. It's crazy, right? Yes, because they're small items They're too. so small. It was really interesting because when we went, we had a pin-ish from the police report of where it was. But mm-hmm. we also, I mean, especially where I have such vivid flashbacks, I knew where it oh. was. Mm-hmm. And... um 
Cameron had said, God, it'd be so cool if I could find my knife. And then he was kind of walking around. He was like, Mom, where do you think I was sitting? And as much as I don't like that I can picture it, <laughs> I closed my eyes and I said, then I opened them and I said, you were right there. So he walked to that point, spot. He looked down and his knife was right there. I mean, it was like pinpointed exactly wow. where he was. And my sunglasses were blue, so they were really bright. And just as we were walking up to the spot, we saw them and they were there. So it's really, really mm. crazy, but it was really quite soothing as well yeah. to be able to find those things. And we were able to do a balloon release, um, you know, to honor the the woman that died and then also to kind of release some of our grief and and the things that we've gone through as well mm -hmm. um okay i i feel like you've touched on this but i still i don't know i feel the need to ask the question tell me about you guys getting back in the car for the first time <laughs> yeah um it was different for every single one of us mm -hmm. because my mom and my stepdad were in camera and cameron got discharged she got in a car that day so, I mean, like within a few hours, he was back in a car. Wow. Um, they, he also saw our vehicle right then. They went to our vehicle. They had towed it at that point, but all of our stuff was still in it. We have a lot of backpacking equipment. It's very expensive. And luckily, my mom was able to go, and they were able to get all of, all of our stuff out of it. So, he was back in a car and saw our vehicle within hours. Um, that still bothers him. It mm. was really, really hard. And there was a few hour drive home as well. Mm. Um, for me, um, I wasn't able to drive for quite some time as far as driving goes. I didn't have the use of my one arm for a really long time. And then we also didn't have a vehicle down where we work. So we were all taking in a helicopter. And um, after I was discharged from the hospital, I stayed at a Ronald McDonald house in the hospital, and then I stayed at the Ronald McDonald house that's off campus of the hospital. They have a shuttle system, so I was able to go in the shuttle. It scared me to death. <clears throat> that first drive, I will never forget, because you come out of primaries and it goes down that big hill. Mm. And I just felt like he was going so fast. I just thought, oh my gosh, why are you driving so fast? <laughs> oh. Um and then for Owen, the first time was when he got discharged from the hospital, which was five weeks later, and he didn't have any sort of mental trauma at that point as far as being nervous. Um, and then for my husband, it was, you know, when he got discharged, he came straight to the Ronald McDonald house as well, but he was in a wheelchair. So it was with like his therapist drove him in a in a wheelchair accessible van to get to the Ronald McDonald house. And then from there it was family that drove him home. And for all of us, it was hard, but I think we knew that that time was going to be hard. Mm -hmm. I will say that I think sometimes it's harder when you're not expecting it mm -hmm. and it creeps up. I think that happens okay. to all of us, yeah. right? Like with grief yes, too. For sure. <clears throat> it's like, Oh, I'm going to do this thing today and it's going to bring it up for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's going to be hard. And then either our expectations that it's so hard and then it's not that hard or, we're just expecting it. So it's not that big of a deal. It's like those random, we're at this fun birthday party and mm. it comes up for us. And then it just feels so heavy. And I've had that happen multiple times. I remember at a Christmas party um, last year, I just, I, I sat in the bathroom and bawled for like oh. two hours. I just, it just came up and it hit me out of nowhere. And it was so overwhelming and strong mm -hmm. that it was like, how do I deal with this right now? Why right now? Yeah. But you do, you just have to do it. Mm -hmm. You just have to do it then. Yeah. I, Never really like, 
oh my gosh, I'm over five years into this for me, you know, yeah. and I've never had somebody word it that way. Like the expectation of, cause it's true. Like for me, it's the death date and yep. like birthdays or big events, right? Yep. Like big events. And so it's like, I'm dreading it. I'm dreading it, but mm-hmm. like, I'm okay. Cause I'm expecting the dread, yep. but it is, it's the birthday parties where suddenly it hits you or yep. something, you something know, something little. And yeah. usually it's not something where that you would expect. And that's yeah. why it hits you so hard. Mm-hmm. And that's when it's something I did want to touch on is just that we allow ourselves that mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And, um, that you find people that you can have a solid support in. And that can be different for everybody and can be different for different situations. For So for us, whether it's PTSD or the grief of losing the life that we had, because we have, we've lost that. There's a lot of that that we'll n- never, ever get back. Um, there is a time and a place to be able to say this person, at, I have one friend that she has PTSD And I'm so grateful that she can relate to me because there's random things that will come up and she's the one person that gets it. So Mm -hmm. she's my support in that. And then there's other times that it has to be that like at that Christmas party, I remember telling my husband, I just need you to leave me alone. And I knew that he would understand because he understands and we've talked about it. And so communicating those things are so key, Mm -hmm. like telling the people around us, I love you and I appreciate this, but I am dealing with so much. I only have the strength to deal with myself. Mm -hmm. I don't have the strength with making you feel better about how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. I just need to do it. And then when I'm done, I need you to support me. (laughs) I need you to hold me and hug me and I need you to physically hold me up or don't ask me anything about it and just let me move on when I'm ready. I got triggered just a couple of days ago. Oh, I got triggered so badly. And everybody kept asking me if I was okay, which I really appreciated. And finally I said, I need you to stop. Cause the moment I start to mentally get over the hump, you bring it back up. Mm-hmm. So I need you to stop. And so I think it's really important that we do a have people that we know we can do that with and B that we do allow ourselves to do it, mm-hmm. that we do allow ourselves to say it out loud and to communicate it directly because when we're not direct, other people don't know what to do. They mm-hmm. want to help and they want to care and it hurts them mm-hmm. to see us like that. But if we don't say something, they don't know. Yeah, I agree. Communicate our needs for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's very helpful. Um, okay, so tell me what has helped you in your darkest moments. Like when you're like, oh, I don't want to deal with this today. I don't want to ride in the car. I don't want to feel my feelings. I don't want, you know, just what has got you through. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you're the same, but man, those darkest moments are so dark. Mm. (laughs) Thinking about them is fairly overwhelming. Um, I think the thing that's helped me the most is quite honestly, just accepting that this is what it is, but then also keeping a light of hope Mm -hmm. with it. Um, hope is something that I've learned a lot about through this and that I'm learning more on and and that I'm actually speaking on as well um, as an inspirational speaker. But hope is something that creates, you know, physical changes in inside of our body, but then also it creates an action within us. Um, one of Owen's doctors, Owen was still in his coma. It was one of the first times I got to see him. I still couldn't walk, not because I had injuries to my legs, but because the amount of impact that I had, I couldn't even stand up. Um, So I was in a wheelchair and his doctor kind of pulled me aside. He had a lot of doctors, but one of them pulled me aside and he said, I've never met a parent who had wished they hoped less 
meaning he'd never met somebody that had said, gosh, they passed away. I wish I wouldn't have hoped so much. Mm. said, I'd never met anybody. And he worked in the ICU at primaries. I mean, that's a hard place to be. And he has seen a lot of hard things. And a lot of times people don't make it. And he talked about how having that feeling of hope is nobody ever regrets that. And that's something that I've really carried with me. There's a sense of what else could come. And to be honest, I don't think Owen would be doing as good as he is if I hadn't kept as much hope as I have, because it has shown him and the doctors and myself, as well as what we're projecting out to everybody else, that he's going to he's gonna get there. Mm-hmm. He's going to work really hard. He's going to do all the things and he's going to get there. And having that hope creates something that takes darkness away. Like when you ask me about my darkest hour, <clears throat> I can physically feel it. Mm-hmm. And then as I start talking about hope, I can physically feel it. Mm. It feels dark, it feels heavy, and then it feels light. And I think that that has been something that has helped me the very most is just keeping a hope of something. And quite honestly, when you're in those very, very dark moments, you don't feel like that at all. But if you can have hope that you're going to make it through the next second, mm-hmm. which we know is a real thing, that that alone will help you get through the next second. And, you know, people had had said to me, making it, you know, day by day. And I'm like, oh no, I'm making it second by second. Mm-hmm. And that's a true thing. It's a very true thing. And you can have hope that eventually it's going to be two seconds at a time that you're going to be able to make it through. Mm-hmm. And eventually you're going to get to an hour. And then you might get to a day by day. Mm-hmm. And having that kind of hope, it really does take the darkness away. I really like that. I really like just even... I hope somebody out there is listening. And so if something, you know, they go to a dark place or whatever, one word, hope. Yeah. Like find the hope. And I also like, um, we've had a couple guests on here who have also said, um, you know, take it second by second. Like even if it's, okay, get me through the next five minutes. Yep. Like you just look at five minutes. Okay, I made it through that five minutes. Let's go to the next five minutes. Absolutely. And so... I really like that. I feel like I learned so much from you guys. So I really like it. Um, Okay. So tell me about, you got to tell us about the name, how you got the name for your foundation Yes, and how you're making lemonade. Okay. For sure. Thank you. Um, So there's a thing called a trauma name that you didn't know existed unless you've been through something (laughs) like this. So when they loaded my husband into the helicopter, they needed to start inputting a lot of information really quickly that they'd already started giving him this medication that, you know, these are the things that they need to do next, those types of things. He's not in a place to tell you his name. So they have a random system that just picks a name for you. His name was called Trauma Sandal Blue. (laughs) Everybody asked if he had blue sandals. He did not have blue sandals. He had brown chacos. (laughs) Um, And and we have actually asked how the name got picked, if somebody picked it, but it was random in the system. Okay. So, So his trauma name was Sandal Blue. And it's really interesting because within just a few days after the accident, I mean, we were in the thick of it. He... My husband had just almost died multiple times and it was, we all were just kind of doing our own thing. We all individually wanted to do something 
out of this. We all, all of the adults were like, we're going to do something. We're going to make good of this somehow. And my husband's thing the whole time was, I want to help other people and I want it to be called Sandal Blue. Mm. So this is where our foundation was born, the Sandal Blue Foundation. And it is primarily and only for motor vehicle accident survivors and their families. It's really interesting because you hear about wrecks on the news every day, right? We hear about it all the time. There are very little resources for the people that are going through it. And it's interesting because I think this happens with any sort of loss um, or life, big life upset or trauma that you feel like you're on an island, but yet there are so many people around you going through something that's the same or very similar. And that's part of what we want to do. We want those people that are going through you know, a recovery from a motor vehicle accident to know that they're not alone. Um, as we We've done a lot of therapy, so physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, and then counseling. Lots and lots of therapy. We still are. And um, one of our uh, physical therapist's aides, he also had been in, in an accident. It was on a razor. And some of his injuries were similar to mine. His were worse. And I was always so excited when he was working because we could connect differently mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. I could with just the normal physical therapist. We could talk about you know, you really start to get into the grit of things where I'm like, I got three more degrees on my range of motion. And he's like, Oh, I remember (laughs) that day when I hit that number. And, you know, those types of things. And there's so much, again, hope that can come from talking with other people. Um, But our foundation does all sorts of things. We um, provide financial aid, not like paying off your medical bills, but like, let us help with dinner for a while or let us get you a house cleaner because you can't do those things when you're, when this is an all consuming thing, especially if it's more than one person in the family, it takes up everything. Um, and then we also provide connection and support. And then long-term we provide hope. We provide hope that you can redefine who you're going to be in your new normal. We help you accomplish a goal. So for my husband, it, it's, it's running Him and I had just signed up for our first marathon right before the accident. Uh, We had done a Ragnar just like a few weeks before the accident. So for him, you have to have a why for working so hard and it's Mm -hmm. running. I want to be able to run again. And so our foundation provides those opportunities to create events just for you. Like you want to be able to walk 500 meters. Great. Let's have that be your goal. And we are going to celebrate the heck out of that (laughs) thing because it's hard to get to that point. So yes, the Santa Blue Foundation is something that has brought us a lot of peace and hope as well to be able to reach out and help other people. And um, we're working with a couple of people and families right now, and they're just so grateful to know that they're not the only ones that are going through it. It's, Mm. it's, it's not just them. I love that. And I love, um, when people find purpose through trauma, you know what I mean? I I really think that that is such a big healing factor. I, I don't know. I mean, it is for me, I shouldn't say, you know, I shouldn't put that in a box for people, but I think it can be yeah, a I healing, think I, if, if, you know? Yeah. And I think I agree. I think everybody's very different in what they're comfortable with, but mm-hmm. 
something that we do. Um, so my husband and I and our kids that were in the accident, we speak in driver's ed classes in the valley. And we tell our story and we talk about the importance of, of buckling up and driving safe and all of, I mean, quite a few different things. And um, Owen isn't a speaker by nature, but I've seen how healing it can be for him as well to be able to tell a story, which you guys allow people to do, and then also to connect with people in a different way. And like you said, it's not everybody. Everybody um, does it in that way, but I think there is a lot of purpose in, in finding something after a trauma. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's just helping your neighbor. Yeah. Like something that works for you, something that heals you in whatever way that may be, you know? So, okay. So you work with schools, driver's ed. Mm -hmm. I've I saw you did zero fatalities, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Zero fatalities has been so awesome to work with. We've done, um, we did a large press conference with them. Uh, KSL actually had us live on with them, which was such a cool experience. Um, Mel has also done some things with zero fatalities as well. Um, and we have quite a few things in the books coming up with uh, those types of public service type things. And then I also am doing quite a bit of speaking, inspirational speaking on on hope mm-hmm. and how to um, get through hard times, but also um, using it, you know, also for companies, you know, companies will have me come and and just kind of talk them through how to how to work through when you have a lot on your plate, because that's what we've become the masters of. This is an excessive amount on our plate at once and um, kind of how to work through those types of things. And and also just to inspire people again, to believe in themselves, to know that they can get through the things they're getting through. Like you said, just one second at a time Mm -hmm. to have the hope to get through that next moment. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Tell everyone where they can find you if they want to get a hold of you, if they want to learn more about you, if they want to watch videos or I don't know anything, tell them more about your foundation. Where can they find you guys? Yeah, for sure. So it's just the sandal blue foundation.org is our website. And on there, there's all sorts of different things that you can look at if people are looking for resources. Um, we've got, we've got a blog on there and we're getting ready to put a bunch of resources up for, um, just other organizations that do similar things. Um, we also, we are very solution focused. So as much as there's a reality of what we've been through, we also want to focus on what we can do with this. And so um, we're starting doing highlights on motor vehicle accident survivors. So there's an inspirational story section, you know, where we're spotlighting survivors. Um, And that's been just so neat to be able to witness and be a part of and help people kind of put together their story, both in word and images. Um, So people can look there for that. And then um, if they're interested in in us speaking as a group or me coming to speak, either way, they can email. There's We'll put an email in the show notes for that. Mm -hmm. Um, We're on social media. So just the Sandal Blue Foundation on social media. Um, We like to really put a combination of things on there. So it's definitely applicable to anybody that has gone through any sort of trauma, um, not just motor vehicle accidents, but then we also just like to inspire and uplift as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I'm going to check all of that out. Um, I also, like you said, we'll link everything in the show notes. And I mean, you are such an inspiration. I have loved having you here. Poor Wit is out getting surgery on her knee. I'm sure if you guys follow us on social media, you've seen that poor Whitney hurt her knee skiing this year. Um, And so I'm sad that she's not here. She said she's not here. Um, But I'm so excited 
that we get to share your story on our platform. Um, cause yeah, you were just, this has been very inspiring. I've loved it. So is there anything else that you can think of that you want to share? Any little story, any, anything else? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, best of luck to Whitney. Of course mm. I, she's going to rock it. She's going to do so good. <laughs> um, you know, I think mostly I just want people to know that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. I want them to know that if they're listening to this and they're feeling anything, um, please know that we're here. Please know that they're they're not doing this alone. And um, all too often we go inside when we need to go outside. Mm-hmm. So if you feel yourself going inside, just reach out in any way. And maybe it is just finding um, inspirational quotes on social media instead of just randomly scrolling. You know, maybe it's just doing something small like that. Uh, maybe it's checking in on your neighbor instead of sitting and and wallowing. And wallowing is important. Mm-hmm. We often say at my house, we'll say to each other, do you need a pity party? Do you need help? Or do you just need me to listen? I love that. Because there are times for all of them mm-hmm. and all of them are valid. But if you're finding yourself in a pity party after three days, that's our, that's our, that's the timeline we've set for ourselves. If we're still having a pity party after three days, find something to do that will bring you hope and you will find that there is more light than darkness out there. Mm. Gosh, I just, can I have you again? Will you come back on? <laughs> Absolutely. This has been so great and so like uplifting for me and healing for me. Thank you. So I appreciate you coming today and taking the time to be here with us. Um, I just, yeah, I appreciate it. So thank you for being here. Thank you everyone for listening. Make sure to check out the show notes to find out how you can learn more about Shantae and her foundation. And yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to leave us a rate and review wherever you are listening. You can also email us at makinglemonadepodcast1 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at makinglemonade.podcast or Facebook at makinglemonadewithwit and kills. You can also find out more about my foundation, Bane's Legacy, at facebook and instagram at bands legacy and www.bandslegacy.com and you can find out more about my foundation you can find us on social media at tay tuff and our website is tay